This episode is brought to you by ServiceNow, the AI platform for business transformation. AI is only as powerful as the platform it's built into. Enter ServiceNow. It puts AI to work for people, for employees, for developers, and even your customers, removing frustration and supercharging productivity. On our intelligent platform, AI isn't just a promise. It's happening today. That's why the world works with ServiceNow. Tap the banner to learn more or visit servicenow.com slash AI for people. There's a very important race that's happening right now. It's a race to find a coronavirus vaccine. Researchers are working around the clock to develop a coronavirus vaccine. Several biotech companies are beginning clinical trials now of vaccines and treatments. Historically, vaccine development takes years, is incredibly expensive, and it's a process that's riddled with failure. But new technologies could change the way vaccines are made and transform the industry for the better. Today on the show, why the vaccine industry has historically been such a tough business and why companies are jumping in now anyway. Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Ryan Knudsen. It's Thursday, April 16th. Vaccines have transformed modern life. They've nearly eradicated diseases like smallpox, polio, and the mumps. But making vaccines is actually a really hard business to succeed in. Out of about 20 big pharmaceutical companies, only a handful even try to make them. Classically, the vaccine space is a bit of an unloved side of healthcare. Only like four or five of the big companies have a sideline of vaccines. There's lots of reasons why, you know, vaccines are not that attractive to the big global pharmaceutical industry. Our colleague Denise Rowland covers that industry. And she says the first reason is that vaccines are really difficult to develop. The concept is simple. A vaccine exposes the body to a weakened or dead version of a pathogen so the immune system can build up its defenses. And it means that the next time you encounter that bug, your immune system can really quickly mobilize to just snuff it out, preventing you from getting the illness again. It sounds so elegant and simple. It sounds like it should be easy. But the immune response is super complex. And pathogens are also really smart, like a lot of pathogens have evolved really clever ways to evade it. So, you know, fewer than 10% of vaccine candidates ever make it to market. It's taken 30 years and there's still no HIV vaccine, for instance. The second challenge to creating a viable vaccine is proving that it works. During a drug trial, you give a drug to sick people to see if they get better. But in a vaccine trial, you have to give it to healthy people and then figure out if the vaccine is the reason they didn't get sick. What makes them so challenging is that you basically have to just pick like a large geographic area and at random vaccinate people. Uh, And that area needs to have, you know, a reliable spread of the disease that you are worried about. And because you're preventing something rather than treating something, you need thousands of people to prove that statistically that if you got the vaccine, you were less likely to get the illness. These massive studies can last for years and cost hundreds of millions of dollars. And that's a problem if you're a drug company that needs to generate profits. The more expensive it is to develop a vaccine, the harder it is to recoup that investment later. Turns out there's a reason we call them drug companies and not vaccine companies. 
Why are drugs better business than vaccines? So there's lots of reasons why vaccines are not that attractive to the global pharmaceutical industry. They typically command lower prices than drugs and you might more quickly face competition from another manufacturer than you would with a drug. When you develop a new drug, you are the sole manufacturer of that drug and you have several years, usually about 10 years, of a monopoly. So you have a long time to make a lot of money out of it. Why can't drug companies have a monopoly on vaccines in the same way that they do for drugs? They can do. And in some examples, you are the only maker of a vaccine for X, Y, or Z. But for all the kind of, I guess, routine vaccinations that like kids get, for instance, there's more than one way of vaccinating against measles, for example. So two companies can make vaccinations for measles that don't impinge on one another's intellectual property. Once you have that vaccine, how do companies make money from it? So the biggest market for vaccines is routine childhood vaccinations. The way they're purchased is that governments like pit the manufacturers against each other and then they give out these massive tenders to say, okay, you will be the one to provide our MMR vaccine this year. That gives the the government buyers opportunity to drive prices down by pitting them against Mm -hmm. each other. While the profits are lower for childhood vaccines, the market is so big that companies can still make money from them. But you don't typically have that same incentive of a large market if you're working on emerging diseases. The threat from a new disease is often regional, which means that even though a vaccine might save thousands of lives in that area, the market isn't big enough to turn a profit. A lot of times, governments will step in with funding to help companies develop vaccines, and then sometimes the work is cut short. One of the biggest risks for anyone is that the epidemic would be over by the time the vaccine is developed, and that's exactly what happened with Zika. So Sanofi got going on a couple of vaccine candidates for Zika. It was supported with some funding from BARDA, the US government agency. But whenever Zika kind of retreated and was no longer considered a public health emergency, BARDA stopped funding some of the programs it had been backing and it no longer became worth it for Sanofi to pursue their vaccine. Why does that happen? I mean, why do diseases emerge and then recede on their own naturally? Yeah, I guess in the natural course of any epidemic, you kind of have this sort of peak of infection and then infections fall once enough people have had it and then they're immune through natural causes, not through a vaccine. This same cycle also played out when the world faced two other recent coronavirus threats, the SARS epidemic in the early 2000s and MERS, which was first identified eight years ago. Vaccine development began in both cases but was stopped once the outbreaks were contained. As a result of all these challenges, innovation in the vaccines business has seriously stalled until this new coronavirus came along. This is bigger and badder than anything we've ever seen. It's just on a different scale. The potential market for any vaccine for coronavirus is global. It's absolutely enormous. We haven't had anything on the scale of coronavirus since the 1918 Spanish flu. Like, this is truly a worldwide need, and any vaccine would be in very, very hot demand. And that's why, despite all the challenges, all sorts of groups have jump-started research projects to try and look for a coronavirus vaccine. 
One international group that funds vaccine research recently said that there could be as many as 115 different efforts to find one. And it's not only the big pharmaceutical companies that are getting involved. Coronavirus has just inspired this like unprecedented effort from all kinds of corners of industry to try and help fix it. There are dozens and dozens of companies, research labs that are racing for this, and then, you know, a bunch of academic labs too. So it's a real range of players. The global scale of the coronavirus guarantees that there would be millions of potential customers for any vaccine. But there's much more to gain than simple profit. What's really at stake for the industry is after the break. This episode is brought to you by Vonage. With Vonage Video API, your developers can easily create custom video experiences tailored to your business. Enhance every conversation with live video, whether it's delivering faster tech support, improving customer service, or enabling interactive meetings and events. Unlock the true video potential of your business. Discover how at Vonage.com. This episode is brought to you by Natrol. Natrol is America's number one drug-free sleep aid brand, helping you fall asleep faster and stay asleep longer. Natrol melatonin gummies are made with clean ingredients, like 99% pure melatonin, to work with your sleep cycle, helping you sleep better, making the next day your best day. Natrol. Sleep tonight, live tomorrow. Shop now at Natrol.com. This product helps with occasional sleeplessness. These statements have not been evaluated by the FDA. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent diseases. Welcome back. As governments and industry race to find a COVID-19 vaccine, one company in particular is getting a lot of attention. The company that is actually most far ahead right now is a startup called Moderna. They're doing their first human tests already on their vaccine. Moderna is working on the vaccine with the National Institutes of Health. Moderna was able to go from getting the genetic sequence of the new coronavirus to getting into humans within weeks. Um, You know, that is unheard of in the vaccine world. The reason it's so much faster is because this vaccine was developed using a technique that's just now starting to gain traction. Rather than growing a weakened pathogen, the company just uses a piece of the virus's genetic code. So Moderna's vaccine is based on something called an mRNA platform. And the idea is that they have this kind of parcel and they just need to like nail the little bit of genetic code and you know once they've got the genetic code they can kind of almost plug that into the little pre-existing package and that's their vaccine. Here's how Moderna explains it in a video on its website. What makes this approach different is that you don't need to make the virus itself to make a vaccine, a time-consuming and intensive process. Instead, you use the information from the virus and administer the information directly to the patient. Denise says that if this approach works, it could dramatically speed up the process for developing future vaccines. Instead of reinventing the wheel every time when you have a new research project, you kind of have a template already established that you can then plug in the specifics of the pathogen that you're working against. You're just tweaking it to get the vaccine that you want. The most significant benefit of that is time. You you can shave off a load of time at those early stages of R&D, potentially cutting out a couple of years or more from like the time frame to develop a new vaccine. 
If Moderna's vaccine works out and shaves a couple years off the development process, it would certainly improve the underlying economics of its vaccine, a fact that isn't lost on its investors. So far this year, Moderna's stock is up more than 90%. But it's not just biotech and pharma companies that are trying to seize this moment, hoping to shake up the industry. And then you've got some really left-field candidates like British American Tobacco, the maker of Lucky Strike cigarettes, um, who have... A, the maker of they, Lucky Strike a, cigarettes? <laughs> what could they yeah. possibly be doing? British American Tobacco have a subsidiary that is effectively a biotech. It uses the tobacco plant as a means of manufacturing proteins and other sort of biotech-y products. The company thinks it can improve the speed of the more traditional approach to making vaccines, which involves growing the weakened virus in chicken eggs and other animal cells. These guys say they've got a candidate, and if it works, they would grow it using the tobacco leaf, and that would be the means of production of this vaccine. So that's the link with tobacco. Tobacco can grow, like, high amounts of the uh, active vaccine ingredient in just a week. Whether it's tobacco leaves or synthetic genetic codes, if new technology can make vaccines faster and cheaper to make, there's a real possibility that companies could make more money from them. At the same time, though, no one wants to look like they're profiting from a pandemic. Some pharmaceutical companies have said that if they find a viable vaccine, they plan to give it out on a nonprofit basis. The message we're getting from the pharma industry, at least, is that this is not a profit-making exercise for them. I think a lot of companies want to be seen to be doing it for altruistic reasons. This is a sort of chipping into this gargantuan global effort (laughs) to control this thing. And they see it as their kind of role or maybe their duty even to do that. But the pharmaceutical industry has developed treatments for a lot of very terrible diseases that they charge lots and lots of money for and make lots and lots of money from. So what's different about a vaccine? Yeah, I I guess partly it's a sense that this is a global public health emergency. And as the pharma industry, if we're ever going to show that we're not just price gouging terrible businesses that charge too much for drugs, this is our moment to prove that we have a great contribution to make society. This is the good that science can do, and this is why we're, like, good companies. And it's not just stories about high drug prices. During the last few years, public perception of Big Pharma has fallen to an all-time low, in part because of the industry's role in the opioid crisis. Another thing that's clear is that this isn't something that one company can do alone. Assuming we do get a viable vaccine, it will take a massive effort, coordinated on a global scale, to make enough of it. So one worry is that if one of the smaller players especially is the one that succeeds in developing a vaccine, then the bottleneck would become manufacturing capacity. How could they scale it up fast enough? One way to scale up production is to start building that capacity now. The Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, for example, says it's helping lead an effort to build manufacturing plants ahead of time so that they can be ready to mass produce a vaccine. And what's remarkable about that is that they're doing that with the expectation that most of that money will be wasted because they have to build different types of plants depending on the type of vaccine. Most likely just one, maybe two will end up working. 
But the need for global coordination doesn't end at making the vaccines. There's also the question of distribution. I mean, how will the vaccines get out into the world and who is going to get access first? Yeah, it's a question I've put to the industry. At the moment, there is not a clear answer, but most industry voices are counting on there being some kind of like to-be-determined system for allocation that would be maybe coordinated by somebody like the WHO, some kind of global body, because the individual companies wouldn't want to be on the hook for making those decisions. Does this moment make you feel hopeful about the future of the vaccine industry? Well, I think what it's done is certainly reminded people of how important vaccines are. I think people can take vaccines for granted, right? Most people get vaccinated when they're little kids. And then you kind of don't think about vaccines for most of your adult life. Like, I don't think about measles or rubella or polio because I don't have to. I think that the one thing that a big pandemic does is, again, remind people like, oh, it's really terrible when you have an uncontrolled infectious disease. Uh, This used to be like a reality all the time. There were loads of infectious diseases that killed people. There was nothing we could do about it. The vaccine industry has allowed us to feel free from all of that. And I guess the coronavirus outbreak is pointing out to us again why vaccination is so important. This is what the world looks like without one vaccine. Right. (laughs) It's not pretty. That's all for today, Thursday, April 16th. But before you go, we want to ask a favor. We're looking for people to talk about the ways the pandemic has changed our work. If you're someone who's gone through a big change, whether you've lost your job or have really had to change the way you do what you do, we want to hear from you. We're interested in knowing what that's been like and how that change has affected others in your life. Please send us an email with your story. Write to us at thejournal at wsj.com. We might reach out about taping your story for a future episode. That's thejournal at wsj.com. We're looking forward to hearing from you. The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and the Wall Street Journal. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.